are the ones who don't know what we're fighting for. Give us a gun and send us all off to war. So they can send us to the moon general shit that you shouldn't be letting your kids intake. Be advised, viewer discretion is recommended. Proceed at your own risk. You've been warned.
America. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of appropriate ages, to the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like Eddie Bravo. Before we get into it tonight, we tell you folks a tale, a tale of brave men years ago who fought for those who couldn't, who spoke for those who did not have a voice. Long ago, in June of 2018, two bearded assholes decided that they had talked so much shit about MMA that they just couldn't contain it any longer. And on that great day, late June though it was, social media accounts were created, plans were made, schemes were hatched, boys and girls. I tell you that tale to tell you this tale tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is the five-year anniversary of the I'm No Joe podcast. Thank you, each and every one of you who are here for taking part in this journey, whether you just got on board or you have been on this shit train since its inception. Thank you for taking time out to give it a glance. I do appreciate each and every one of you. That being said, holy shit, do we have the first of our multiple international hangover weeks in store for us. But before we get into the disappointment we have to look forward to on this weekend's Punchy Kiki roster, how the hell are you two gentlemen this fine festive evening? Doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Dude, we made it to five fucking years. How the fuck did that happen? (laughs) I know. Oh, man. Literally five years ago this week, me and Golf Tee were sitting down on a no-video Zoom just to see if we could even get this shit to work right. I think there was a minute and a half delay between the actual conversation being had and it making it to YouTube on the stream. Like, it, we have been through the shit show of shit shows. Not that we are by any means professional by this point, but holy shit, talk about hindsight being 2020. Looking backwards, we have leaped and fucking bounded to where we are now. It's definitely gotten a lot better. That's for fucking sure. I don't know about better, but it's smoother. Well, <laughs> I'll say <laughs> quality of production wise. There you go. That that I will agree with. <laughs> Maybe the rest of it, not so much. But you know. Right. I mean, you know, got to take the small wins. So much you can do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that being said, uh, as we like to do around here, before we get into the upcoming nightmare of this weekend's UFC card that we will take a little bit to talk about, uh, we like to get into a little bit of a recap from the craziness that happened the weekend prior, because inevitably, holy whippet nightmares batman was that a crazy fucking card of a pay-per-view um start right out at the fucking top uh i don't know uh who the fuck jessica rose clark thought she was going up there against nobody in the world saw that playing out the way that it did but jrc most definitely stepped into that octagon thinking that she had a t-ball pitch just set up waiting for her to fucking get cranked out and stoliarenka was like you know if i lose this is the end of my opportunity so i'm just gonna break your arm instead yoink and um 
And despite JRC obviously being a little bit salty with the whole ow and everything going on, um, multiple replays confirmed. Uh, as soon as the tap and the referee were confirmed, Stolyarenko let go. Uh, I think JRC might have actually been trying to tap a little earlier than it was noticeable, and that's why it was held longer, I say in air quotes, for those of you listening, than uh, it should have been because it, it really wasn't uh, – it clearly was a very painful fucking situation. Um, but no, that, that was a very clean and very impressive sub one minute arm fucking destruction by Julia Stolyarenko to open the fucking night with a hell of a performance. Um, from there, um, in my opinion, one of the more lackluster of several lackluster fights that were on last weekend's 276 card. Uh, Jessica I versus Macy Barber. Not that I was really giving much of any opposition to be fucking dealt with to begin with, but Macy Barber legitimately manned her way through 15 minutes of fucking snoozeville to get a very obvious unanimous decision win against Jessica I, who to her credit had the foresight to then decide to start off the trail of retirement. Uh, the UFC was absolutely going to cut her after this one way or another. So uh, I will say taking the fucking knife in your own hands and seppuku rather than fucking death at the hands of the boss, man, I, I get it. So there, there is a fucking a hat tip to be said there. Uh, on the other hand, she turned around and went to the post press conference and said that she, since she is officially now retired from MMA, she's hoping that someone from the WWE will call her so that she can be the new female undertaker. Talk about jumping and not looking where you're going to land. Big oof. Um, that'll bring us to the quote unquote pre early premiere rather prelim uh, Uriah Hall versus Andre Muniz. Um, we actually, Golfie and I actually talked about this as it was happening. Uriah Hall walked out to the cage looking tired. Like he looked like he was literally sleeping in the back and someone woke him up urgently as his walkout music was starting because he like was still rubbing <laughs> sleep on the corner of his fucking eyes. He never got started really, in my opinion. It looked almost like at the end of the third, he was just starting to finally like engage and catch up with the fact that he's been in a fight for 12 and a half fucking minutes, but too fucking little, too fucking late at that point. Um, Muniz did absolutely look much better than Uriah for the entirety of the fight, but it, it legitimately looked like he was napping and someone woke him up to come out and fight. Not a good look in my opinion. <sighs> now, apparently... The rest of the card got the memo that Snoozeville ain't going to win you any fucking favors because Drikus Duplissi and Brad Tavares came out and said, hold my fucking beer. Let's show them how 15 minutes is supposed to look. And those boys came out and went to war. 15 minutes back and fucking forth is supposed to look like that. In my opinion, one of the best performances Brad Tavares has put on in at least a couple of years, to say the very fucking least. Um, unfortunately for Brad, 
even his best performance, in my opinion, isn't really enough to keep up with the top of the division. He is great as a gatekeeper at middleweight. I've said it for years. I'll continue to stand by it. Duplissy kind of made my point for me. Um, Duplissy did not have the greatest of nights either. He was looking a little rough around the edges there for a while, but weathered the fucking storm, ate some big shots, showed some good fight IQ in the moment. And uh, I'm telling you, if they can get this guy's fucking South African visa situation sorted and start getting him to be able to travel a little more, that motherfucker is going to be a big problem at 185 real fucking quick. He just literally hasn't had the chance to show what he's capable of. But every time he does, hang on to your asshole, boys and girls, because shit gets bumpy. I felt like that should have been the actual fight of the night. It's just mainly because uh, Tavares, he had an amazing first round there, Fuck but yeah. the places then came back and, you know, fought back and won the fight. Yeah, I felt like that was more fight of the night, but, you know, it damn sure was a good one. Yeah, I it, agree with you. Dead Duplessis, man, he, he looks like he swings with power all the fucking time. What's surprising <laughs> is you... I, every time I looked at him, I'm like, he looks gassed. But then all of a sudden, there's more gas in the fucking tank. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Gets after it. Yep. Like he, if he's empty, he, you'll never fucking know it because he's still swinging for the goddamn fences. I want to see what happens when they finally get him to a five rounder because you know what? That's going to tell us a lot about him. I mean, right. yeah, you can push it for three rounds, but can you, you push can't it hide when like that five round where it gets to you? Yeah. I mean, that'll tell us a whole hell of a lot about him. And I'm not saying anything bad because he, he went for fucking right. broke and it paid dividends at the end. But, you know. No, I, I agree with you completely. He's one of those dudes. He's very Bobby Green-esque, I think, would be a good way to describe it. Like, even when he looks like he is sucking wind and, like, shrimp and leaned over, standing in the middle of the octagon with his fucking hands down, every punch is crisp and snappy and looks like it's thrown with 125 percent power like somebody broke the fucking crank meter and it got that little flashy bonus extra power like every fucking punch man <laughs> so no I, I agree 15 minutes we've seen him go 15 minutes a couple times now he's got a 15 minute gas tank with no issues uh, i 100 agree i think we find a, a fight night somewhere later in this year maybe early 2023 and let that motherfucker main event of fight night where it's just to get some fucking obligations maybe another hangover card kind of like what we're going to talk about later this evening find one of those find him a good fucking matchup let him have fucking costa let him have fucking whitaker give him bobby knuckles at this point give him somebody interesting that's not at the top yet but that's not at the fucking 15 number either let's see what he can do i think it could be interesting that being said um, Ian Gary is showing more and more as we start to see him in the octagon more frequently that he really does have a touch of that McGregor in him. Uh, not just in that step back one, two, but in the fact that when he's up and thinks that he's up, you see the coast start to initiate a little bit because there was a point where Gabe Green, who to his credit made it a fucking hell of a fight, almost as good as the one we just talked about. Not quite, but damn close. But there was a couple points where you could see Gabe Green got cracked. And if Gary would have just put his foot down and you could see even in the moment that he recognized it, 
but rather than capitalize on it, he almost wanted to play with his food more of looking for that big show instead of getting the fucking finish that was clearly in front of him. And he, we saw that backfire on McGregor so many goddamn times that maybe he really did watch as much tape on Connor as he says he did, because I, I will give him this. There's no doubt in my mind, he absolutely won that fucking fight. Gabriel came to fight, but just did not measure up to the same level. But on the same fucking token, if that half-ass performance is what Gary thinks is going to get him through in the UFC, I don't see his career lasting nearly as long as it could have. Props on the name change and the whole story behind that. That, as a human being, dude, warm the black souls of my fucking heart. Then the performance that he put on after we found out why he changed his fucking name made me go, well, throw this motherfucker back to the fucking uh, LFA. Throw him back to Cage Warriors. Like, he's clearly not fucking ready for this shit. If he can get his shit together and focus, like legitimately focus, Ian Gary could be a very big player in the UFC for years to come, I think. If he gave us a glimpse last weekend of what he's going to be like once he starts to get to that early stage plateau in his career, skeptical face is skeptical is all I'm saying. That being said, um, the moment that I would say gave 97% of the people watching the card a mild cardiac reaction, to say the very least. Um, Jim Miller versus Cowboy Cerrone to the run back. Um, very, very nice competitive back and forth round one. Miller, obviously a little finer tuned, not by a whole lot though. Still looking damn good for Cerrone. And then round two comes out and Jim just shines, just fucking shines, man. Jim Miller is a beast on his worst days when he's on. God damn it. He is a fucking problem for anyone i don't fucking care who you are and unfortunately we saw cowboy cerrone once again walking out to the octagon stopping at his sons and crying on the way to the cage i understand that this is absolutely an emotional situation and i'm fairly confident he knew walking out that he was retiring win lose or draw which he has said since was his plan when he fought or was supposed to fight lows on the first fucking time he was going to hang him up win lose or draw after that fight so i think that that was clearly playing on him going out but when you saw him crying with his kids before he even stepped into the cage again man put that fucking knot in the back of your throat and that thought was immediately in the back of your head and unfortunately for him you could see it was in the back of his head as well because he just was not focused enough and you cannot give Jim Miller 10 seconds of unfocused fucking time because if you do you will end up in a very bad way very quickly and Cowboy Cerrone ended up in that bad way and 
I'm not even going to lie. I was a little under the influence because it was a hell of a fucking night. And when Joe Rogan walked over to Jim Miller and before he could get a word out, Jim grabbed the microphone in Joe's hand and said, hang on, he's got business to take care of. I started welling up. I've been watching Cowboy Cerrone fight for nearly 20 years. He is a legitimate, solid piece of the reason I love MMA as much as I do. And the reason we are doing the show you are watching and or listening to right fucking now. So literally having the ability to watch the bookend of his career play out live Saturday night as he walked up and set that cowboy hat down in the center of the octagon and then put his gloves inside of it and wave to the crowd. I cried like a bitch. I don't fucking care. Like that man has made so much of an impact on my life just as a fan. I can't even think about how fucking hard that was for him to have to go through on top of just getting subbed by Jim fucking Miller. Like Donald fucking Cerrone. Like you will always have a fucking place in the Hall of Fame on I'm No Joe, regardless of what the UFC decides to treat you proper or not. That man is a legitimate legend in this fucking sport, and I cannot thank him enough for his contributions, at least from my side of things. So, great fucking fight. Great fucking book into a career. Cowboy fucking Cerrone. He's going to go be a movie star, boys and girls. <laughs> Dude, that was a double, that was a double fucking just punch when that happened knowing it was coming but at the same time watching jim miller go now that's where it hit me i was like yep i was like not only did i already like jim miller fucking i already liked fucking cowboy jim miller did that he rose his stock a fucking thousand percent when he did that that was one of the greatest things i think i've ever seen out of any fucking fighter yeah well well done for damn sure Oh, that being said, uh, that will bring us to the premier prelim of the evening. Talk about holy shit, not wanting to uh, give a lackluster performance after that fucking crowd shaker going off. Um, We've been saying it for a while now. Jalen Turner is a fucking problem that six foot 13 motherfucker somehow makes 155 with no issues and has 83 foot long arms that he will wrap around you fantastic four style and unfortunately brad riddell found out the hard way quick fast and in a hurry that jylan turner is also one of those much like a jim miller you cannot give a single second of undivided attention without a defensive position ready to go because he will fucking yoke you up um the big right that he landed to set up and then secure that fucking guillotine was just absolutely textbook as it fucking gets perfectly on point, perfectly fucking timed out, saw the opening, read it, initiated just perfect fucking execution. I think this is one of those situations where despite catching an L, I don't think this really tarnishes Brad Rydell's uh, reputation or, or fucking resume in the least. This was a 45 second guillotine if anything 
this shows how well prepared Jalen Turner was for this fucking match because holy shit, this was a literal blink and you miss it opportunity. And Turner did not blink. He saw his moment and he grabbed it and yoked and it was all over before you could say, what the fuck just happened? Beautiful fucking work. Um, The tarantula. But fuck. (laughs) I'm just saying, look, I think the tarantula is highly under fucking rated right now. Uh, Because everybody was saying quick Rydell is just going to walk away with it. I'm fucking picked the tarantula for a reason that dude is a fucking animal and he is way undervalued in the company right now that right there that he only took 45 seconds to put away fucking quake that tells you a fucking lot that's all i'm saying yeah that was only his first bonus and that was his fifth finish in the usc so far so i feel like there's an example of the underrated but yeah we're totally I feel like he's a huge prospect. He's going to be a problem for a lot of those guys in that division. It's going to be it's going to be fantastic seeing him rise up. I feel like yeah, we talked about Ian Gary a little bit earlier. I feel like Jalen Turner's probably got, in my eyes, more potential to really give the top guys in the division trouble than someone like Ian Gary and his. Yeah, I I can absolutely see that as well. Yeah, for damn sure. He just seems really fucking well-rounded, man, especially after seeing that submission. I mean, we, he, we've seen yeah, him he really have does. the power and get those knockouts. So that, that was fucking fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like he's another one of those that he really just hasn't had the opportunity, much like Duplicy, like we were talking about earlier as well. Turner just really hasn't had enough opportunities to show people what he's capable of. And again, when he gets those opportunities – he makes the most of them, which is exactly what you're fucking supposed to do. And that was a perfect execution of doing just that. That being said, though, unfortunately, that will bring us to the introduction to the main card that we got in the form of Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley. So... Uh, I believe it was about 45 seconds, maybe a minute into round one. Uh, and O'Malley kicked Munoz in the dick. So we knew right away what kind of fight this was going to be. Um, tried to downplay it, acknowledged it, but tried to downplay it. O'Malley did. Um, so we, you know, sugar show in full effect, as they say. Um, and then we get a unconfirmed eye poke uh, about two two and a half minutes into the first round um second round comes out <sighs> sean o'malley in backing off of an attack from pedro munoz has his hands with his fingers out as we all know you are not fucking supposed to do and when pedro goes to step forward and throw a shot Sean, which we now have clearly seen in multiple different replays from multiple different angles, jams <laughs> goddamn fingers into Pedro Munoz's eye so fucking hard, he legitimately slices Pedro's cornea. And they stop the fight and they bring the doctor in and Pedro says, I can't see everything is black. 
they immediately stop the fight. And for some reason, even though you can see on every fucking monitor in the goddamn arena, the finger going into the eye, O'Malley's hand out before, so it was intentional. You're in control of your weapons. Keep your fucking hands closed. His fingers were out. He knew what he was doing. He did it. Jammed it right in the fucking eye. But they call it a no contest. Now, as we all know, that's not going to stop O'Malley from bragging about it, but it was indeed ruled a no contest. And we have since then seen the medical reports that Pedro Munoz does indeed have, I think we were talking about it earlier, it's a uh, two millimeter laceration of his fucking cornea. And we will find out this week whether it is jagged to the extent that it will need to be operated on so it will heal or if it's going to heal on its own. Either way, we're looking at a little bit of time out from Pedro because his eyeball was cut open. Sean O'Malley, you fuckstick. I'm the first to finish Pedro Munoz. Right. And I'll take that accountability. I took his ass and he honestly looked like shit, especially in the first round. Munoz was getting him with the leg kicks. I mean, he was kind of timid trying to throw any punches, but even in the second round, once they both started getting going, O'Malley was throwing some kicks, but he wasn't really landing. I still felt like Munoz was, you know, getting it in the second round and then that eye poke. The only thing that, like, I've heard it all week, people trying to question Pedro's toughness. Look at his resume, the guys that he's fought in his career, Dominic right. Cruz, Jose Aldo, even all Jermaine Sterling he fought earlier in his career. The dude didn't fucking, I don't think, look for a way out of the fight or quit like people have said. But it definitely, I mean, it was such a bummer. That was the like worst way to start the night is Sean O'Malley doing that shit and then you just hear Munoz as soon as he says it oh, I can't see you're like oh fuck I just really like Vincent didn't know what the fuck was going on he's like what What are y'all upset they're calling the fucking fight he's like what yeah he said he can't see the ref and the ref and the fucking doctor are gonna fucking call him once you say that it's it's done there's no question in that anymore. The Those words come out of your mouth. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you can't see, there's no legitimate reason to hide it. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate a fighter who's got toughness and might not be able to see. All uh, Michael Bisping. I can't. I literally can't <laughs> see. He faked that for a long fucking time to keep fighting. And good on him. But at the same fucking aspect of that, I don't agree in the no contest either. It should have been a disqualification. The finger poke thing, we all know that is part of the fucking rule set. Fingers must be curled or pointed towards the sky, not straight out towards your fucking opponent. Anytime this happens, that is a blatant disregard for the fucking rules and should be a disqualification immediately. No questions asked. If a poke happens, look, you can warn them before it happens. I'm fine with before the poke happens, warn him. But the second it happens, disqualification. Fuck them. If you can't control your weapons, you shouldn't be in there. It's no different than fucking handing a shotgun to a fucking four-year-old and expecting it not to go off. Same concept. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately... We ended it with a fucking no contest, though, and it's unleashed an entire shitstorm since then. So, 
we'll leave that shit storm to fester as it's festering now. And if it actually <laughs> produces anything, we'll report back on that later. That being said, um, that will bring us to probably the biggest oh shit moment of the evening, in my opinion. Uh, Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barbarina. Um, regardless of skill, and I know that kind of sounds a little weird, but hear me out. Regardless of skill, for my money, Brian Barbarina might be one of the single toughest motherfuckers in the UFC period. Now, the way that he finished that fight was absolutely fucking applaudable. You cannot take a single fucking thing away from him in the way that he fucking came back to turn that around on Robbie fucking Lawler. And that was absolutely a great fucking stoppage. But the journey to that point, I feel, was kind of like sticking your head out a train window and just eating fucking lampposts all the way to your destination. He ate so many unnecessary, massive fucking shots after massive fucking shots. And to his credit, marched the fuck through them, wobbled a couple times, understandably, but kept marching through and was able to turn it around on Robbie fucking Lawler. And you saw the moment where he landed the shot and Robbie went from fuck you to oh shit. And it, the whole tide immediately stemmed, but literally up until that exact fucking moment he was eating wholesale bags of dick just shoveling it and it like all you can eat cock buffet as much as he can <laughs> fucking cram in there going to town man that fight was better than it had any fucking right to be whatsoever good god yeah and look credit to Barbara Rennie because he did win the fight but fuck dude we learned one thing about Barbara Rennie he's like a fucking Timex. It can take a lick in and keep on ticking because that motherfucker got his ass handed to him. I think the thing that pissed me off the most about the fight was not the outcome or the way that the fight played out. It was that Robbie Lawler had him hurt on more than one fucking occasion and didn't go in and finish him. I'm going, and I get it. The fucking experience that Robbie has, he knows don't go in and gas yourself out because it's a long fucking fight. So, dude, it's pretty, yes. But there was a couple times where I looked at fucking Barbarina and gone, dude, are you sure you don't want to kind of get in there a little bit? Come on, buddy. Let's go. Because he could have finished him a couple of times. Yeah. But he didn't. And no, then he ended up paying the fucking price because Barbarina bit down on that fucking mouthpiece and just marched on forward. And it was a. It, to, to be honest, it was more of a fucking slugfest than anything by the time it was all said and done. There's yes. who can hit who harder and for how long. Yeah, it, I it, it was thrilling. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed every fucking second of that fight, but 
a little disappointed in Robbie Lawler there. However, not gonna lie, that fight did win me some money, so not gonna complain. <laughs> no, that works. <sighs> so, that being said, uh, that will bring us to the people's co main event of the evening uh, Sean Strickland versus Alex Pereira. So, bit of a mixed bag to say the least. Um, I will say this: uh, we try and make a point to uh, to harp on this here on the I'm No Joe podcast. Credit where credit is due, regardless of how you feel about the individual. Sean Strickland, to his credit, said that he was going to go out and get right in Alex Pereira's face, and he was not going to back down, and that Alex would have to do something about it to get him out of there. Unfortunately for Sean, the part that he forgot to add to that game plan was keep your fucking hands up. Because for some unbeknownst to me reason, Sean Strickland decided that Saturday night was the night that he was going to stand in the face of one of the best kickboxers on the planet and throw from his belly button. And he quite literally walked directly into a fucking textbook perfect setup from Alex Pereira that put him right on his fucking ass as it should have. Um, That was absolutely one of the dumbest fucking things Sean Strickland could have ever done in his entire career of doing stupid things. He quite literally had a title shot on a plate that he absolutely and confirmedly could have wrestle fucked his way to against a guy who has issues with wrestlers. He quite literally could have wrestle-fucked himself into a title shot at, you know, that goal that everyone says that they're going for, the thing that he himself said, that he wants the belt. He had the window open. He just had to climb in, and he chose to fight from his fucking hips against a world class kickboxer spoiler alert sean got knocked the fuck out (laughs) don't do that he looked good for 30 seconds he looked spectacular for a good 28 30 seconds and then Pereira was like oh you're really doing this (laughs) okay (laughs) where's my title shot dink you know, my thought was if he was going to stand up with him, he was going to get put out with a head kick. Nope. Fucking, it looked, to be quite honest, like a lazy left hook. But when they played it back, the same fucking left hook that knocked out Izzy. Same exact fucking one. You go back and watch those two knock out side by side, you'll see the exact same left hook. Apparently, that is his best fucking weapon. I'll, I'm just saying. Play stupid games and stupid prizes. Yeah. Like, literally, 36 hours before that fight, he was guaranteed a title shot with a win. (sighs) 
that being said, uh, that'll bring us to the co-main event for last weekend's card. Oh, craziness. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway, the trilogy. So this one left me with a mixed bag of emotions, to say the very least. Um, Golf T and I were talking about this in the moment. Uh, from the moment he stepped into the octagon, something looked a little off about Max Holloway. And for the first, what, two, maybe three rounds, we were saying it almost felt like he was purposefully trying to just be erratic and crazy to lull Volkanovsky into adjusting to that timing so that he could go back to being Max and overwhelm him. And then there came a point where he just, he, he wasn't going back. He wasn't adjusting. He wasn't doing Max things. He wasn't being Max Holloway. What we saw Saturday night was not Max Holloway, not even a fucking holographic representation of what we know to be Max Holloway. And I will say to be able to wear as much of that fight with a legitimate pinky sized chunk vertically missing from his fucking eyebrow. Max is a goddamn soldier. But what we saw Saturday night for my my two cents at least was very much the exact same Alexander Volkanovsky that we had seen for 10 prior fucking rounds coming into Saturday. We didn't see anything different. Kind of like I said, we wouldn't from Volkanovsky where we did see something different was from max here. And it wasn't for the better. Props for wearing out that whole fight, but that's a bad way to end a trilogy, in my opinion. You know what that reminded me of? Or or made me compare it to? It made me compare it to when you go and you decide, all right, it's time for my little brother to learn how to play video games. We're going to play UFC. I am going to take someone who I think is a worse fighter, and I'm going to make sure he picks the best fighter so he has the best odds. But because he doesn't know the buttons or timing, he just kind of mashes things around. That's kind of what fucking Max looked like. Like, I don't know if there was, to be honest, I think there was something legitimately fucking wrong or off with him that night. Because in none of the two previous fights, nor the fights he's had in between his last title fight, have looked like that. He's looked like an absolute fucking god. And now all of a sudden, you flew too close to the fucking sun and there she fucking goes. Because, man, something just was completely off. And here's the weird part is when I go back and I think about it, I'm going, was his timing that bad? Or did Volk get better somehow? And I just didn't recognize it because his timing was off? Or did Volk get that much better that it made his timing look off? And I don't think Volk got that much better. I'm sure he has improved some. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to say Volk didn't improve any. I don't. I don't want that. To I don't improved, think you know. it. Was, I don't think it was yeah. a case of that. I really think there was something off. Like I think something had to have happened between fucking the time that he showed up to the fucking building. They wrapped his hands. He got warmed up to the time he walked out. There is something in that time period that just fucking 
Like the switch didn't fucking fully flip before he walked out or something. Because it didn't even look like it when he was in there and they were fucking doing the announcements for the fucking co-main. Well, Buffer was still in there with his... Um, might I add, speaking of Buffer, can we talk about suit change? Going from looking like fucking James Bond to like Dude. he stole the jacket out of RuPaul's closet in the second fucking half? Man, what a fabulous change. change. <laughs> I'm just saying. Dude, Dude was on fire for this fucking international fight league. I yeah, did like the all white guy. There's Buffer, man. That, that man peacocks better than most men will ever be able to dream of. And oh, he was God. a glorious display. <laughs> but yeah, so there was definitely something off with Max. Like, I think the switch just didn't ever flip over. Like, that, that had, that's the only thing I can come up with. And I'm not going to give him any excuses because, you know what? He is a consummate professional, always makes weight, and we never see any issues out of him. The only time we've seen an issue was it was some sort of fucking medical fluke. And when somebody else pointed it out during an interview, then that's when they pulled him because they made the doctors look at him then. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's I, the only time we've ever seen anything bad out of him other than that. So I just think the flip, the switch didn't flip. Eh, it is what it is. Everybody has a bad day, but fuck, that sucks because that's a shitty way to blow a third fucking fight because you're not going to see a fourth fight now ever from them, ever. No, ever, like, ever. And unless Max goes up or fucking Volk goes up, Max right. isn't well, going to get another. Yeah, shot you'll never title. see this again at 45. Yeah, you're not going to see Max get another shot at the title at 45 if Volk still has it, unless he moves. That's the only way Max gets a shot back at the title again. So, to be honest, it's Max's best fucking bet. Move on up, Sunshine. Yep. And, you know, I hate to say it, but it, it almost felt a little bit like maybe Max was warming up in the back and got cracked the way that he seemed like a half step off for the good majority of at least the first two rounds of the fight he didn't look like himself he might have just caught one funny in the back while they were warming up for the fight because that fired up max that we saw at the fucking ceremonial weigh-ins was not the same max that walked into the cage saturday night yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, Volkanovski looked faster than the first or the second fight. And that seemed like it was throwing Max off a little bit. But there was just something more than that. He didn't sit like the walkout and then just the whole time in the cage through the announcement, you know, just nothing seemed, you know, it just didn't seem the same. The vibe wasn't there that we had it wasn't had Max. Max. You know, you're going to get the volcano, baby. It was right? like the volcano fucking erupting. You know, it was pre-ejaculation before the fight. Yeah. <laughs> called the volcano and then walked out to the UFC's fucking subscribe or fucking uh, theme song. Like, we, that's one thing that Galtier and I were talking about, too. Like, the last half a dozen or so events, either the, the people's co-main event or the co-main event itself, one of the two fighters... Every fucking card has walked out to some song that the UFC already owns the rights to that doesn't fit the person that's walking out to it. We had it happen last week. And then this last weekend, Max Holloway, instead of walking out to his song, walked out to the UFC theme song that they own the rights to. Like, I don't know, man. There's just, there's, there's a lot of room for me to put on a tinfoil hat. We just don't have time for it right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe if you guys are lucky, we'll we'll squeeze together a little midweek episode or something one of these weeks and throw the foil hats on. But there's there's ammo loading up there. I'll put it that fucking way. So moving on from there to our actual main event, um, Adesanya versus Cannoneer. Um, I've seen a lot of people talk a lot of shit about this fight. I'm not here by any stretch of the imagination to try and convince you folks that this was the most exciting fight that Israel Adesanya has ever been involved in. But what I will say, and I have been defending since then, including 20 minutes before the show started, and I'm sure once the show's over, I'll have notifications waiting. Um, it takes two to fucking tango. With the exception of the UL fight, because the UL fight, he knew that Yoel was going to stand there and wait for him because Yoel did that. And then when Yoel cracked him, the one time he did come in, Izzy knew exactly what was going on. And then Izzy chose to stay back as well. So with the exception of the Yoel fight, because I feel that's an asterisk unto itself. Izzy isn't to be blamed for a fight where he engages and he strikes and he tries to do what he does. How many leg kicks did he land on Jared Cannonier? How many fucking step-off counter cracks did he fucking land on Jared Cannonier? How many times did he break off of a wrestling engagement or stop a takedown or roll off the fucking fence? All the things that people, you know, wouldn't associate with a boring fight. Adesanya was doing that Saturday night. Was it his best performance? Not by a fucking long shot. But was it a Yoel Romero runback kind of boring? No, not at all. Now, I understand that Adesanya walked out to the fucking Undertaker theme, the hat, the glasses, the urn with Jared's fucking name on it, the whole kit and caboodle. They cut inadvertently, I say with air quotes for those of you listening, to the McMahon family sitting front row at fucking Octagon side that Izzy said he didn't know about. Wink, wink, I say for those of you listening. But I do understand that when you put on that type of performative entrance, people will have a certain level of expectation in the actual event itself. And I, I agree that they didn't necessarily get that same level of entertainment from the fight on the same fucking coin. No. How many times in the last week alone, just the last seven days has Jared Cannonier said, I'm coming down off of my throne to fight for my belt. I'm not challenging him. He's challenging me. I've already won this. In my head, I'm already the champion. There's nothing Israel Adesanya can show me that I'm not prepared for and ready to outdo. And then he went out there and snoozed it the fuck up. When Izzy cracked him, he flinched. When Izzy fainted, he bit. When he tried to take Izzy down eight out of fucking ten times... Izzy wheeled right the fuck out of it or bounced to the fence and pushed him the fuck off or put the underhook against his fucking overhook and broke his fucking grip. The big dude, the strong guy, I say for air quote or in air quotes for those listening, wasn't able to hold a grasp on the quote unquote skinny guy, Israel Adesanya, I say again for those listening. So no, it wasn't the most exciting title fight. It wasn't the most exciting title fight Israel Adesanya has had. 
but it wasn't nearly the fucking snooze fest that people are trying to make it out to be. And the snooze fest that it was, understandably or acknowledgeably, wasn't a sole blame on Israel Adesanya, despite dipshits like Chris Pratt opening their fucking mouth in the public as soon as someone points a microphone at them to talk shit preceded by the phrase, I don't know, man, I've never been in a cage. End of story. If you don't know a thing and you don't watch a thing, how is your opinion on said thing valid? But for some reason, that was literally national media headlines for the better part of this week. Look, this one where I will say from a fan and also somebody who's practiced. Look, I might be short, fat, not shape right now, but there was a point where I was short and in shape and did these things. So I understand. However, there is a thing where when your job requires you to fight, you should be fighting. With that being said, it takes two to tango. Now, here is a problem from both sides. Problem number one. When you oversell and underdeliver, you are automatically at fault, period. No ifs, ands, buts. I don't give a fuck who calls you out for it. So when you say you're going to bury somebody and come out dressed as the undertaker and you don't finish them, you're automatically at fault. Am I mad about it? No. But that automatically makes you at fault. Now, on the other side of that, like I said, it takes two tango. If you're coming down off of your throne to not get buried, well, you managed to not get buried, so good on you, but you also failed to get back to your throne. So, fault on both sides. However, right now, I'm still I'm still in with the national media on this one. You can't oversell something and then underdeliver. Period. Especially not when your name is Israel Adesanya. Now, don't get me wrong. Still got star power there. But if we're looking at fucking um look, recent pay-per-view vice, he's not the pay-per-view king right now. The pay-per-view king is fucking Charles Dubronx Oliveira. His last two pay-per-views, 400,000 buys, which ironically ties International Fight Week's pay-per-view buys this week. And his most pre- previous one, or his one most recently, half a fucking million. That's 100,000 more buys than this week had. So you can't oversell something and underdeliver if you're not even getting as many fucking sells. If you're going to oversell something, you better fucking deliver. So that way, that number doesn't look so bad. 100,000 fucking difference. That's pretty fucking bad. And guess what? Bronx is not overselling anything. So, yeah. Am I down with fucking them calling him out? Yeah. I'm perfectly all right with it. Am I going to throw any shade at him? No. He's a fabulous fucking fighter. He did what he needed to do to win. But at the same time, you can do shit like that. Maybe it's time you rethink the way that you're fucking um, sending out your fight messages. That's all I'm saying. And to Jerry Cannonier, 
you could have done better. You did not look like the fucking killer gorilla that you have been. Like, there was something off in that fight on the killer gorilla's part. And there was also a large something off on Israel Adesanya's part. Neither one of them looked the part. Like, they looked like neither one of them actually wanted to be there. Except for, hang on, let me do a little promotion for WWE. Right. And, well, I'm just here to cash a paycheck fucking cannoneer. That's what that shit looked like. It looked like a fucking straight bullshit bag of fucking dicks. <laughs> it wasn't yeah, the worst the fight fu- on the card. Both of the it fights were definitely nowhere near close to the even mediocre fight on the card. Because there was mediocre fights on the card that were better than that. I'll say it. Don't care. <laughs> Just saying, you can't over you can't oversell and under deliver. He has it right on that one. Period. Even if they even if they've never fucking trained, they still had that right. Simple economics, man. Simple economics. I feel like both of his fights this year were a little boring, but it wasn't necessarily Izzy's fault. You know, like the Rob fight and then this fight, you know. Neither guy, Rob didn't really advance. He didn't really, you know, try to do anything in the fight. I felt like Jared did the same thing. He he talked a lot, said how he, you know, Izzy had nothing for him. And, and, you know, he he did. He'd punch, like you said, he'd punch him and he'd flinch. And then Jared just didn't seem to want to come forward and just do much. He is the bigger, stronger guy. He didn't seem to, you know try to the wrestling wasn't there because he couldn't get the takedown but try to get towards the fence get a clinch game try to get some of those elbows like you would you know kind of like what he knocked Derek Brunson out with it just right. wasn't there but then um I, I heard this on Chael Sonnen's podcast this week it's just a little tidbit maybe why we saw a little lackluster Israel is that show that he gave us like it if you think about it, you put yourself in his shoes doing the Undertaker walkout and everything, having to walk out slower and more methodical and just making this giant show on spectacle. How the hell could he at the same time really get locked in and focused for the fight? So I feel like that kind of drew away some of the focus. I mean, he tried to give something to the fans. It was awesome. It's one of the best walkouts ever, but I feel like that really played a part. It's like that slow, methodical walkout kind of affected his mindset going into the fight. We saw a slow, methodical, you know, just. If he hadn't done that like six other times, I would agree. But like all the way back to his first fucking fight with Rob, when they did the whole fucking anime Jabberwockies dance (laughs) shit, like. And then they had the fucking roses for the fucking first UL fight and shit. Like, he's almost made all of his title career up until this point doing some kind of dramatic, yeah. slow, drawn walkout. That just tells me Uncle Chael's been smoking some good shit. <laughs> um, yeah, Uncle, Uncle Chael is apparently eating the same edibles as Colby lately. <laughs> and no, don't get me wrong, this did when we were talking, when you're saying that there, did, I did have another thought here. What have we noticed? I don't know, maybe it's just me, and it's been his last couple of fights, but Israel Adesanya has changed. Like, he is no longer the guy that we saw moving up like lightning through the fucking 
weight classes to become the champion. He's went from being the, I'm going to take you out to the, I'm only going to counter strike fucking fighter. Right. And so, yeah, if somebody wants to blame him, I could see that. Cause you know what? He's turned into Anderson at this point. That's how yeah. I feel. Like, you know he's what? Turned it, into that's Anderson. pretty much how Anderson careers have gone. So what we're eventually going to see is some no name bastard who fucking shouldn't fucking beat him is going to knock him clean the fuck out and then break First his white man. <laughs> right. That's all I'm saying. Because look, it's it's how it went. The spider did the same thing. He came in and ran through motherfuckers to get to the title, and then he turned it up. Oh, I'm only going to counter strike. So a lot of my fights are going to be boring. His brother well, Asanya is doing the same thing. Enough, He's taking that same path. Apparently, he doesn't realize history repeats itself. And guess what? If you don't know your own fucking history, especially fighting history, you're going to be doomed to repeat that shit. So be prepared for a fucking random fucking right cross and then a rematch where you break your fucking leg. No shit. Well, and the most ironic bit about that is the person that actually pointed that out after 276 last week was DC. The reason that Adesanya looks so much like Anderson Silva did in the same situation is because they've both reached a point where they're lapping the division. And rather than considering moving up, which they both legitimately should have done well prior to the point where we're getting here, they stay there and they start fighting the same people over and over and over. And you get to a point where it doesn't matter who it is. If you fight the same person enough times, you will figure out enough ways to squeak out a win. And that leads to boredom. When you know who the opponent is and you know what they're going to try to do, you lose interest in trying to put new effort into that endeavor. Anderson did it. GSP did it. Well, And now Adesanya is starting to do it. You could tell from the first time they told him he was going to have to fight Whitaker again the spark fizzled a little bit because rather than getting a new challenge, a new reason to get up and get motivated, he was already being forced to turn around and start running laps again. Instead of moving on and keep going up, they're keeping him on the same fucking track with the same people he's been running against for six years now, even though he's lapped more than one of them more than once. Now they're keeping him locked in that same track against the same fucking people. I get it. Like I get I the board okay with that to an extent. He had a new challenge this time in Jared Cannonier and did not go out and assert dominance. He did not. He yeah. asserted, I'm gonna counter strike you and kind of out punch you. And to be honest, that's not dominance. So he didn't lap fucking Cannonier. Cannonier tripped over his own fucking dick because he didn't do anything right. about fucking him not wanting to do anything. So to be honest. He's just turning into Anderson Silva. That's it. It's not a matter of lapping division at this point. It's a matter of, oh, I've already got the belt. Why do I actually need to work to finish people at this point? Why would I go in there and beat somebody's ass when I can just outpoint them for five fucking rounds like I have the last couple fucking title fights? Just saying. Because of that, one thing that I think would be really interesting I heard this week, Hamza called out Alex Pereira. I feel like the UFC made that matchup. You know, I feel like they could be really good for the middleweight division. If Hamzat was focusing on that compared to the welterweight, welterweight stacked, that'd be fantastic. Because that would put Adesanya in that position. 
if he doesn't do something different. You can't play it safe if you were fighting right. Hamza. I don't think you can play it safe against Barrera either, but for real, like if Hamza fought Barrera and then winds up beating him, right. he puts himself in line for that. Oh, right. man, I feel, like, I feel like Kamzat kind of shot himself in the foot for the ability to do that, though, by doing yeah, he should have done exactly it earlier, what he's criticizing he Izzy about. To call it out this week. It was yeah, like he, he just had the nice. same situation when he fought fucking nice Burns last time out. Yeah, Jemayev talked all this shit about how he was going to ragdoll big old Burns and how Burns looked skinny and blah, blah, blah. And then he went the distance in a hard fight with Burns that wasn't very exciting. And now he's trying to call out Pereira, so that yeah. Izzy can get away with doing the same thing that he just caught shit for. Yeah, like if, if Kamzat would have gone out and done to Burns what he did to the leech, I would say fuck yeah, give him that fight tomorrow. Izzy will have no problem waiting. I promise you. But I feel like Kamzat kind of cheddar bobbed himself leading up into that. Mm. Wish he wouldn't have. Though. Yeah, so do I. Trust me, so do I. Either way, to be honest, I'm I'm done with fucking right now that division with izzy sitting there it's boring to watch at this point like there's no point in me trying to figure out what's going to happen there yeah, i know no what's going to happen gonna i'm going to see izzy point somebody out eventually i'll catch the replay where he gets knocked out or his fucking leg broken and then the division will get interesting again because that's <laughs> what happened and that's what's going to happen again because at this point he's literally on fucking it's not even cruise control He's got his team fucking pushing him. He's not even doing anything. He's literally sitting on a fucking bicycle with somebody behind him kind of shoes him in the right direction. Yeah, literally it's boring as fuck right now. It's what it looks like. That fucking, that's a dead division to me right now. Until he fucking moves up, which I don't think he'll do because I don't, he obviously can't handle 205. He he went in and fought the champ at 205 and he did not look good. I don't think he stands a chance at 205 until he's ready to commit. I think, ironically enough, <laughs> and legitimately, as ironic as it is, I think he finds himself in a John Jones situation. I think he's not going to be able to legitimately go up and contend at 205 until he gives up 185 and bulks up to the so, proper size to be able to make 205, much like John Jones theoretically is doing right now because we still haven't actually seen him fight at heavyweight. We, so what you're just telling me is he has to go snort a whole bunch of coke, run into a pregnant uh-huh. lady in a fucking car, and then fucking do some other shit, take a gun in public, shoot it in the air. I am not Ali Abdelaziz. I will not tell him how he has to go about getting into fight condition. All I'm saying is you know what you have to do. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, do he, maybe, you know what? Maybe... Maybe Israel Adesanya needs to start doing coke. Maybe that'll make his fights more exciting again. At least when John Jones was in fucking 185, he was fucking going in all coked out of his gourd, and fights were fucking exciting. I'm just saying, do you, but if you want a good nail, good reason for them frosted tip nails, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, all right, dude. You you say whatever you gotta say to feel better about that. I'll call you whatever you want to call you. You're still fucking whatever. I'm glad you picked up on that. Uh, <laughs> so said, you know, do you, boo boo, do you? But that being said, 
that'll bring us to our news and recent events segment for this particular episode here. Um, not really a whole lot of fight announcement, big news shakeups in this week. Uh, more of, oh shit, what the fuck are we dealing with kind of stories. Um, but we do have some interesting ones. Um, first and foremost, we found out just this afternoon, uh, Patricky Pitbull is injured. So the fight against Sydney Outlaw at uh, Bellator 279 is officially off. They are just going to postpone it, though. So I don't think it's going to be a serious injury. Otherwise, they obviously would just scrap that shit. Um, no official word of what the actual injury was, just that it was an injury and that they had to pull the fight from the card rather than pulling him from the fight. So apparently Outlaw is in on this because there was never any mention even of keeping him on for an interim or anything like that. So hopefully it's nothing serious. Um, we actually talked about this a little bit earlier this evening. We had a pair of announcements come out this week regarding this weekend's upcoming fight. Um, the first one was the Jamie Pickett fight. Uh, we found out that the Jamie Pickett fight was pulled for undisclosed reasons from this weekend's card, but the silver lining to that is that we have word from inside sources that they are waiting for ink to dry on paper to officially move that fight over to UFC 279 taking place on September 10th. Um, the other half of the announcement regarding this weekend didn't quite as gracefully come together as that did, but it did turn out to be an interesting situation here. Um, uh, Austin Lingo actually had to withdraw from the fight with uh, David Onama this weekend. So last minute, they throw the word out. Onama wanted to stay on the card. And what should happen? Lo and behold, they find a last minute replacement to step in and take on David Onama Saturday. So he gets to stay on. Not only do they find someone who's ready to be a last minute replacement for David Onama, but they find someone he's familiar with he's directly familiar with someone by the name of garrett armfield who david onama had an amateur fight against on the amateur circuit in february of 2018 so not only are these gentlemen getting to run back a match that they had as amateurs they get to run it back in the fucking ufc if that's not a fucking feel-good come-up story, I don't know what is. And this week, I'll fucking take it. <laughs> In the yeah, hometown boys. Home yeah, both, boy, kids. both dudes around here. Both yeah. dudes getting to run that fucking rematch back in the UFC as a fucking fighter. Like, that's the tits. That's fucking pinnacle right there. <laughs> Yeah, give me a fourth fight to be excited about this weekend. <laughs> yeah, no shit, right? All the fucking help this card can get, it needs it for damn sure. We'll get more of that in a minute. Um, one of the uh, few announcements we did get, actual genuine announcements, uh, UFC Vegas 59 coming up August 6th, once we're done with this international fight shit. Uh, got a last-minute addition thrown onto it here. Kind of an interesting one. Uh, Ariane Lipsky taking on Priscilla Cachuera. Um, both of these ladies very much need a big win. Both of them are tap dancing on that line of, are you going to stay a nobody or are you going to start to actually make a breakout? 
I think Lipsky has a lot better chance considering, yeah, excuse me, considering that Catuera still has the fucking eye gouge from hell looming over her fucking shoulders, or I guess over her head, because that's behind the shoulders, but you know, whatever. Uh, still going to be an interesting matchup. Definitely favoring Lipsky, but she's had a bit of a rough run of things lately as well. So we'll see. I'm, I'm definitely going to be tuning in because that's an interesting fight. Um, we got a bit of a mixed bag piece of news here. Um, we found out that Juliana Velasquez did officially file an appeal for her Bellator 278 loss to Liz Carmouche. And we have already got word on the decision. Uh, the Hawaiian State Athletic Commission has already ruled down that they will not overturn the fight. And she has 60 days to file her one and only chance at an appeal on this ruling. And then it is in the records for good. Um, this is kind of a weird situation where I, I don't really feel like they're going to grant her an appeal. And I feel like they should. Um this is kind of a gray area where the referee, Mike Beltran, has written a letter to the Hawaiian State Athletic Commission saying that in the moment, due to one of the strikes in the final sequence of the fight, he saw what he thought to be Velasquez blacking out and coming back too, which is why he stopped the fight. Since the fight has ended, upon reviewing the footage from different angles and different sources, he has confirmed that to be a bad call. While he agrees that the fight was stopped with the best interest of the fighter in mind, he also agrees it was not the correct decision and the fight should not have been stopped. Big John McCarthy, quite literally one of the people who will help write the fucking unified rule set and get MMA legalized in America to begin with, wrote a lengthy letter detailing how and why the situation happened, confirming that Mike Beltran made a mistake in the moment in stopping the fight and that the decision should be overturned. And the Hawaiian State Athletic Commission threw him out the window and said, no, 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 this Carmouche keeps her victory. It's not as clean cut as it might seem, but it's a good glance into the way that some of the politics work, even in organizations outside of the UFC, shall we say. And that's a weird situation there, because you know what? In the best interest of the fighter, that's the right call, period. Yes. If you think you saw them black out during the moment, look, during the heat of when all that shit's going on, to make a small error like that, it can fucking happen. Yeah. Yes, it does change the course of that fucking, of both fighters' trajectories and where they go. But at the same time, the long-term goal of that ref's job is not to give a shit about where those two fighters go. It's to protect the fighters. Now, going back and saying, yep, yeah, I did fuck up after I watched it, great great that big john mccarthy steps in and says hey yep this is the same we know this to be true and to be honest on the fucking other side of that being those fucking guys at the commission there i get it once the rule is set and the call has been made it's kind of hard to overturn that you know it's different for like a blatant fucking foul but there was no blatant foul there right a 
fight was stopped in the best interest of the fighter. And that's probably where they're holding their ground at. To be honest, I get it. I'm not mad about it. Do I think it's necessarily right? No, but it makes sense from if that's where they're sitting. But we're never going to actually know where they're sitting with that, no matter whether they go back and make that one final appeal to appeal that decision or not. I just don't, there's no way that we're going to know what that commission is thinking. Because to be honest, this Karamush, not fucking Hawaiian. So it's not like it's fucking, um, oh, we're doing it because they're Hawaiian. No. Right. The only thing they can do is, oh, she's a former Marine. Maybe she was stationed at Kaneohe Marine Corps Base. But I highly doubt that was the case. If I'm not mistaken, she was at Camp Pendleton. But I could be very wrong. Don't quote me on that, but still, it's it's a weird fucking situation to be in, and nobody wins in that event no matter what. Because if they overturn it, the belt goes back. It discredits what Liz Carmouche was able to do, which was right. fucking put her on her ass and fucking lay some leather on her. And the other side of that, if she doesn't get her belt back, we're on a bad trajectory as well. So either way, it's a no-win situation for either one of them. And to be honest, all it does is it muddies the fucking decision in the fight in the first place. As if it wasn't that way a little bit already. And I say a little bit because, again, ref's discretion to save the fighter. And look, those minor mistakes happen. It's not like it was a blatant fuck you error. Right. Yeah, this wasn't a, this wasn't a Piotr Jan Aljamain Sterling situation. But I think my biggest problem with it is that this reinforces one of the biggest gripes that longtime rabid hardcore fans like myself have about situations like this in that there's one person that a referee is held accountable, or one group of people, I should say, three people generally, um, one group of people that a referee is held accountable to, and that's the State Athletic Commission where that event takes place. The problem with that situation and with that system is that regardless of how that state athletic commission decides, there is no ruling body anywhere in any country on this planet that has any authority over any state athletic commission, period. So regardless of how good or how bad any of their decisions might be, their decision is the end-all be-all. And like we mentioned here, once one of their rulings is passed down, like it just was yesterday, that fighter has 60 days to make their one and only appeal, and then it's done. Carve it in fucking stone. No one can change it. That's a bit of a fucked-up situation, right? It, it is to an extent, and I get that 100%. And to play devil's advocate here, it's hard to have one central governing body over not just the states, because each individual state uses their own set of unified rules, as does every fucking country in the fucking world that uses the unified set of rules or chooses to use their own set of rules. So to have one governing body for each athletic commission, no matter it's for each athletic commission in the world that's great but you can unfortunately that's never going to happen because well the logistics of that and the 40 million different fucking rule sets that there's going to be depending on where they are because i'm sure in some of the places in the world 
they might do it by what we would call counties and each county is going to have their own fucking set versus each state you know so it, it it's going to be that similar kind of situation where yeah it, you're kind of damned if you do damned if you don't it is a shitty situation but as far as the u.s is concerned yeah the u.s can create one governing body for themselves for each individual state but they have to be able to recognize the individual state rules or force every state to fall under the unified rules, which that's not going to happen because that's up to the state. The state is the one who chooses whether this is legal or not. That's the reason we don't see things like BKFC in every state yet, because it's up to the individual state to say, yeah, they're falling within the law or we're going to allow them to do this or no, we're not. So it's, it's one of those situations that I don't, don't think we're ever going to see come to fruition because every time the rule set changes a little bit, because it does they mm-hmm. fairly, exactly. not, I won't say regularly, exactly. but consistently until they get it exactly right, each state kind of um, cherry picks what they think is going to be best. So right. it, it's, it's kind of a fucking double-edged sword, like the whole need to a down opponent thing. I'm fucking okay with that. I agree. You get more force from a fucking elbow coming down like this than you are going to get from a fucking knee because you can throw your whole goddamn body weight into this. A knee, yeah, you can get your hips and shit behind it, but not your whole fucking body like you can an elbow. I'm just saying. What what do I agree? That's that's where that shit gets a little cloudy. So my devil's advocate, we're never going to see it happen. So it's going to be on a state-by-state basis and what their state athletic commission means, which does suck to an extent, but... Right. That's the way it is right now, unfortunately. Lather, rinse, repeat. Tis the cycle. But that being said, um, we did get a bit of sad and then, oh, not so sad news uh, wrapped up in one little kit and caboodle here. Um, UFC July 23rd, I believe that's the, uh, I think that's the Austin card. Either the Austin card or the Dallas card, one of the two. They're somewhere in Texas, they're going back. Um, we got word today, officially, Darren Till is injured and has officially withdrawn from the fight. Uh, but such is the case lately. Chris Curtis stepping up on short notice to take on Jack Hermanson for the 23rd. Props for the two-week fucking step up, man. Chris Curtis is, is sure as fuck showing that he's ready to go whenever lately. Um, now, coming off of this last weekend's craziness, we got a little bit of information that it's been rumored and kind of spoken about in hushed tones in the corners of rooms around the water coolers and whatnots, but it, it hasn't really been made very much public about it by the vast majority of folks. But Volkanovsky, uh, after last weekend, took the opportunity to go ahead and open up and say that part of the reason that he was slow to start, to say the least, uh, in the Max versus Volk 2 fight was because at 3 o'clock in the fucking morning, the night of the fight, USADA sent a full sample crew to wake up Volkanovsky and give blood and urine. So he had to wake up, or night before the fight, excuse me, because he was weight cutting. So he had to wake up, drink water, wait to process it, piss for them, give blood, 
then go back to sleep, then wake up and get ready to go do fight weight shit. USADA woke him up in the middle of the night within 48 hours of the fight, period. Either get that shit before they walk out to the fucking octagon or when they come back from the octagon. Waking a fucking fighter up for a title fight in the middle of the night, say it's during fight week, period, is fucked up. To do it to a guy fighting for a title the night before his fucking fight, that's just shitty. And you can't tell USADA no. Period. You cannot tell USADA no. When they come to collect, you give your sample. Period. Or you're ineligible to fight. That's how that works. So he didn't even have any recourse from it and had to wait this long before he felt he was even all right to talk about that. Yeah, USADA's got a lot of fucking problems. Speaking of having a lot of problems, though, um, I am not going to play it. Uh, I, I did link to it in the uh, the I'm No Joe Discord, which there's a link for the I'm No Joe Discord down in the uh, description if you feel like joining. One of the least toxic MMA communities on the internet right now. Right now. Uh, it is up there along with a lot of the other news that just doesn't make it to the news and recent events segment here. Um, Michael Chandler, for some fucking reason, went to Nashville over the weekend and took part in the Masked Singer Live performance and very horribly and very uncoordinated, live words, very uncoordinatedly, <laughs> I like that, uh, belted out in a horrible fucking tune, Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. It's every bit as bad as you anticipated in your mind. It's that bad, maybe a little bit worse, but it's it's there for you to go watch. It, it needs to be mentioned because as if this motherfucker hasn't done enough cringe shit lately. Oopsie did it again. Oh, so now that being said, um, we got word that Felice Herrig retired right after her fight. She knew she was going to. Good for her. Move on. Do your thing. Then we got word almost immediately afterwards that she didn't retire. She retired from the UFC because she immediately turned around and signed a contract with BKFC. I, I don't think that's going to work out for her any better than the UFC did, but make that paper, boo-boo, do you? Whatever you think is going to work out best, go after your fucking dreams. And when they fail, I'll be there to laugh at you. Uh, that being said, uh, we did get a legitimate sad one, though, this week. Um, genuine women's cowboy Cerrone, if you will, bona fide female MMA pioneer, uh, Sarah Kaufman, has officially called it a career. Um, she retired officially this week after 17 years as a professional mixed martial artist with a professional record of 22, 5, and 1. I don't care if you were a fucking fan of Sarah Kaufman or not. 
that woman deserves all the fucking respect in the world because she was there from the fucking first match. She was there from the OG days of the OG days when Ronda talked Dana into stopping that dumb shit about not letting women fight in the UFC. Sarah Kaufman was right fucking there, ready to help kick that door open and put ladies on the goddamn map. So props to Sarah Kaufman. Again, storied fucking career, legitimate legend and women's mixed martial arts. I wish her nothing but the fucking best going forward. Now, on the other side of that, though, um, people I do not wish the best going forward because they can go fuck themselves. Tony Kelly has officially been released from the UFC following that thorough ass whooping that Adrian Yan has laid on that big mouth bigot motherfucker last time we saw him out there. So not only did he fuck himself by opening his mouth and then fuck himself again by missing weight to that fight and automatically forfeiting 20% right off the fucking top, but then he fucked himself right out of a UFC contract because his ass is on down the fucking road. Good riddance to bad fucking rubbish, as they say. Fuck Tony Kelly. Now, on the other end of that other end of the other end of the spectrum, we've got a wholehearted anti-Henry Cejudo situation playing out this week. Um, despite going 4-0 in his UFC contract last April, we disappointingly saw the retirement of one Jimmy the Brick Flick. He cited that the way that things stood, the UFC just didn't offer anything that would help him secure his family's future, like a 401k or a pension plan or medical insurance outside of the octagon, or, you know, things that a normal corporate job will afford any average employee. Understandably, you can't fucking fault him for that. Well, apparently Nick Maynard, and Sean Shelby and Dana White have had some playings on going on in the background because Jimmy Flick said that things have been straightened out. He is no longer concerned about securing his family's future. And as of today is officially back in the USADA pool. 2023, hang on to your assholes. The brick is back, baby. That's how you unretire, Henry. Um, we did get one little last minute spree of announcements uh, that just came out literally about 45 minutes before we started the show this evening. Uh, trio of fights coming up here. The first one, UFC 278 taking place August 20th in Salt Lake City for some reason. Uh, Miranda Maverick will be stepping back in to take on Shanna Young. Very interesting top ladies prospect fight taking place over there in Utah. Um, we got an interesting addition to the September 3rd UFC Paris card. Officially, as of this afternoon, ink is dried on paper. Nasruddin Imavov will step in against Joaquin Buckley in the city of lights and i'm fucking here for it that's a great fucking matchup and it's gonna be in paris <laughs> yeah nicely done ufc nicely done um speaking of 
nicely done though. Um, the final one we got here. I don't know how this is going to fare for either one of them because this is so atypical for them both, but I'm curious just out of, I'm interested out of morbid curiosity of nothing else. Um, announced today, just this evening for October 15th, Angela Hill versus Lupe Godinez. The lady short notice queens are both taking a full camp fight against each other. I don't know if we should just expect this fight to fall out and both of them end up with getting substitutions or how the fuck this is going to go. This is like when you cross your fingers saying you weren't crossing your fingers, telling somebody about crossing their fingers, negating things that fingers weren't crossed for. Like you're doing the dice thing too much. I don't know how this is going to fucking end, like, but I'm going to watch. <laughs> so that being said, that is all I have got for news and recent events. Either one of you gentlemen have anything I missed this week? I just wanted to ask your guys' opinion. Just I heard today, I know it's not huge news, and I'm not a huge fan of it, but I've been hearing about Jake Paul fighting Tommy Fury. That fell out. Now he announces today he's fighting Hassan, or Hassan Rahman. Mm-hmm. Junior, it's hard to pronounce the names, but I know he's 12 and one. He's like a heavyweight in boxing, true boxer. His dad was a professional boxer and like lived his whole life boxing. So I feel like this is truly like got my interest. Like you said, morbid curiosity with that last thing. I got a little more, and I'm not going to buy the the damn thing. I'm not going to give Jake Paul any of my money, but I finally have some morbid curiosity instead of just thinking this is a spectacle right instead of fighting somebody like ben asker and tyron woodley you're finally fighting a boxer and you're taking a challenge on it. so i mean just wanted to hear you guys' potential opinions on it you think it's bullshit or are you actually interested Galti, earmuffs <laughs> don't fucking do it i right, look i'm warning i'm giving you advance warning earmuffs here, here's my advanced warning. He, he's uneducated on the ruling, so I'm going to explain. That's why I'm giving you the, the option to not have to hear it. No, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain. As the okay. commission has previously okay. gone over, that is a person we do not talk about on this stream. Therefore, it will not be talked about. The commission has ruled. We move on. I was, I was just giving you the option to not even have to hear that discussion, but yeah. The, the commission has already ruled on that. Uh, I would be more than happy to, to discuss that off air, but that is a topic that the, the commission has ruled on. We do not discuss on air. So, okay. So, only other question I will now name him as he who shall not be named. Would you, would the commission be open to discussing it if he uh, beats this, this actual boxer? No, never. Doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> I, and I, I may actually do a short clip just to put up on the I'm No Joe Instagram account about this later because I thought about it because I actually read the whole story. I've been following it from the other side of it just because I'm fucking morbidly curious as well, but not enough to actually watch. Um, but there is legitimate story behind what has happened here, and it's a lot more complex than that scumbag YouTuber is ever willing to fucking talk about. 
Do and me a favor. Check your right ear, man. It looks like some dignity is leaking out of there. No, 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 no. no that's that's just leftover brain juice. Okay. No. Yeah, I only yeah. brought it up because I actually like boxing, and I, I'm only into the real fights. So it's I, nice. He's leaning away point, from spectacle. No, at, at this point, boxing is pretty much fucking dead. the The main reason yeah. that I'm interested in that at I all is the uh, how do I put this delicately? Um, alleged organized crime affiliation and exorbitant amount of evidence presumably tying in. It's it's a lot dirtier than most people understand, but because of who's involved, most people won't get that story. So yeah. But that being said, uh, this would be the point in the evening where unfortunately the folks who are only listening don't quite grasp the full context and the ambiguity, the atmospheric change, the palpable difference in vibe that comes across the show when this gif rips across the screen to let our viewers that are here with us on YouTube know we have just officially entered the pit. This is the point, ladies and gentlemen, where the friendly show we have been conducting up until now loses its familiarity and gains a little bit of that edge back that combat sports deserve this is where we take a little bit of that fun and twist it into a game aspect and keep it fun but make it different if that makes sense so this week we have got our first international hangover card in a month where we're gonna have three of them back to fucking back so strap in boys and girls the middle of this month's gonna suck um <laughs> This, though, is the first of those three hangover-esque pre- and post-pay-per-view fight nights. UFC Vegas 58, Dos Anjos versus Fiziev, the Battle of the Hafas. Now, I understand that the UFC isn't in the business of doing this, but had I had any consultation from Mick or Sean or Dana or anyone in the upper echelon, I would have informed them that this should be the battle to see who going forward is allowed to retain the name that going forward, if there's two Hafas and only one can emerge victorious, the other should have to only be known by his last name. Dosanjos or Fiziev, no more <laughs> Hafa for you. If it's a battle of the names, make it count. You don't hear Jeff Neal and... Neil Magny, that's what it was. You don't hear Jeff Neal and Neil Magny mentioned in the same conversation anymore, do you? Nope. Worked out great there, but that being said. So this evening, gentlemen, we have a myriad of interesting fights smattered in amongst a couple of legitimate interesting matches and the namesake, the Battle of the Hafas. So we are going to start out this evening in the pit like we always do around this time. We're going to go co-main event first. We don't want to get into the main yet. We'll save that. We're going to go co-main event first. For some reason, the UFC decided this week to put Armin Petrosian and Chow Borello 
two unranked prospects, literally both with less than a half dozen fights combined in the UFC so far in the co-main event slot. So my question to you, gentlemen, is how is this nightmare going to shake loose? We do have the regular client, regular clock timer back this week, so fret not. The pressure's off for the final question. No timer to worry about this week. Uh, but being as how you are the returning champion this week, Christian, uh, you will get the question first, sir. Chow Borello versus Armin Petrosian. How is this nightmare going to play out for us? All right. So, I mean, I feel like Borello is a little more well-rounded than Petrosian, but I do like Petrosian's, you know, power, his ability to get that knockout finish. Now, I do feel like if he doesn't really get any good shots in or get a lot of combinations in, doesn't show that power in the first round or so, it will wind up going the distance. I feel like the safe pick would be Baraglio, you know, just because he does seem more well-rounded, and I feel like he's going to try to get this fight to the ground. But I'm going to lean towards Petrosian. I, I just – I don't think he's going to get the finish. I, you know, I want to lean – I'm, I'm taking a decision. But um, I, I want to say it's going to be an interesting fight, but I don't feel like – I feel like Petrosian – He's either going to knock him out early or it's just going to wind up being a boring fight. I could see that. I could see that for sure. So, Galti, that brings us back over to you, sir. In this strange concophony we've got of a fight night card, how do you see this co-main event playing out for us this weekend? First thing that's going to play out in this co-main event is I'm probably going to walk away from my fucking TV set at this point because there's no point in me watching this fucking trash. But if you're asking who the winner is going to be, I'm going to end up all wrong fucking Christian side here with Petrosian purely on this fact. He beat Buff Obama. He's he's got a little bit better resume. So other than that, still not a fight worth watching. And to be honest, Brello, I there's something about that dude that makes me think he's an absolute piece of shit scumbag. And so I refuse to get behind him. Yeah. No, I, I'm completely in agreement. Um, something about Borello just, he gives off real strong, like legitimate skinny Paulo Costa vibes and not in a good way. Like, he's going to elbow a nurse and then blame something on a bottle of wine he drank the night before. Like, it's going to get ugly somewhere down the road. We're going to hear that he fucking eats raw kittens or something fucking crazy. Like, he that dude's got skeletons. Like, yeah, like, that dude's... Wasn't there's it something stopped? Wasn't it stopped or something like say, that? Sure. Like, yeah, illegal knee? Stoppage. Yeah. I, I thought it was uh, the opponent was down and he got an illegal knee in there and they stopped the fight. Yeah. And he was just fighting dirty through the whole fight before that point. So, yeah, it wasn't a good look. I and mean, it didn't really look good watching him through the contender series. Dana made him fight a second time. He just, yeah, there's always been something about him. I'm just, I, I haven't been able to like the guy either, even though he's just got one loss. He's got a good record, and like I said earlier, well-rounded. He just it does not 
Yeah, does no. not tickle the fancy worth a damn. Yeah, there's something about that dude for damn sure. Um, valid points here. Um, for round one, I am gonna have to go ahead and give the point to Golfy. Um, Christian did bring up the point, and I will admit that is a valid point. But Golfy put the nail in the coffin there when he brought up that juicy little tidbit. Petrosian has beaten Buff Obama. And as we've seen lately, that's not a small feat to accomplish. Like, that motherfucker's on a legit tear right now. Holding the win over that dude could very much play into his pocket later on down the road. So, very nicely done. I, I genuinely am in 100% agreement. I give zero fucks about this fight in the grand scheme of things. But that is an interesting tidbit to have in your favor. I, I might actually glance at the TV while the fight's on. That being said, uh, that brings us Still to the other side that. of that coin here. <laughs> uh, that'll bring us to the other side of that coin here. Um, unlike the fucking snooze fest potentially of the co-main event, we have a legitimate, pretty fucking good main to look forward to this weekend here. So in our battle of the Hoffas, Golf Tee, how do you think this one shakes loose? Who, which Hoffa reigns supreme uh, for fuck's sakes this is a tough one um purely be- for one reason and one reason only we've seen what physio is capable of lately and he's absolutely fucking destroying people but Sanyos has fought the cream of the fucking crop like legitimately the best fighters in this fucking weight class for the last fucking better part of a decade He's been at the top for a long time, and he's only progressively gotten better in the last 10 years. Like, he stays on weight more. The dude is on fucking point. Right now, this is going to be Fizio's toughest fight to date. Don't get me wrong. He's had some fun ones already, but toughest fight with a crafty fucking veteran of the sport. I don't know that he pulls it out, even though he's fucking got a gas tank for days. And just keeps coming and has some Matrix-like moves to move the fuck out of way of shit that we've already seen. I think we're going to get the crafty old veteran here. Um, keeps his number seven spot and keeps Fiziev his um, first legitimate loss to a fucking legitimate good fighter. Interesting. Very interesting. Always a fucking chance. RDA, you, you can't fucking count him out. But yeah, no. Very interesting. So that brings us back to you, sir. Uh, the Battle of the Hafas is upon us. So, Christian, how do you think this main event shakes loose for us? Which Hafa reigns supreme in your eyes? Well, upside, I do think this fight is going to be exciting, no matter how it shakes out or which Hafa wins, as you will. Um, I will agree with what Golf T said. RDA has been around the block, man. He's fought a hell of a lot of dudes like Leon Edwards, Robbie Lawler, Neil Magny. I mean, he has lost to Michael Chiesa, though. So it's where it, you got this prospect in physio, like Golf T said as well, that gas tank. And then the crazy aspects that we've seen with the spinning wheel kick last year against Brad Riddell just dodging some of those other kicks and shit. He he just seems like an exciting up-and-comer. I'm going to give it 
to Fiziev by decision in this. I damn sure don't think it's going to be easy. I again agree with golf that he's going to be the toughest test for him. It's going to be an absolute war. RD's going to fucking give it to him because he has only gotten better. But I do feel like Fiziev has what it takes, and he's, he's going to get the victory. But it's going to be a war. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, I absolutely am inclined to agree. I, I think you guys both make very good points here. I, I think this is absolutely going to be undeniably Fiziev's toughest fucking t- test to date without a fucking shadow of a doubt. Um, I, I can't, I can't actively say, I don't think RDA has a chance. I, I can't count that motherfucker out. We've seen him just pull too many rabbits out of too many hats and too many situations. He's, he's kind of the lightweight Glover Tajira. Like you just can't root against that fucking old dog. You really can't. But at the same time, man, they, and I don't honestly say this often and I a hundred percent genuinely mean it. There's something special about Rafael Fiziev, man. There's something special about the way that that dude moves, the way that he thinks in the moment, the way he's able to react there's something different about him legitimately. Like he's got it, whatever the fuck it is. Rafael Fizia fucking has it. And he's got it locked in his pocket because even the bad performances we've seen from him so far, haven't genuinely looked bad. His rough nights still look pretty fucking good. And he's still on his way up. He hasn't even hit his fucking prime yet. So if what we've seen out of him so far is any indication of what we could potentially see, Man, talk about the fucking sky being the fucking future for this guy. Like, I, it's it's tough, man. It, it's hard for me to fucking root against RDA in any sense, but I I gotta give this one to Slobe here. I I genuinely think Fiziev takes it, man, and I agree. I think it's gonna be a fucking war. I don't think this one's gonna be. I think this might genuinely go to decision. This is gonna be a grinder, but. I, oh, I he, think, yeah, he's gonna need some of those matrix, those matrix dodges yeah, to fucking I, last. I, I, think, I, mean, uh, I think he's gonna get it. That endurance, like golf, he touched on, man. His physique's yeah. got that fucking gas tank. I just feel like he's gonna endure it. He's gonna constantly keep coming at RDA, and it's just it's gonna be crazy. It's I'm excited <laughs> about this one fight. I'm excited about a few names on this card, and then this one fight is going to be really good. Yeah. It's going to be fucking good. I mean, the last time we saw, even though I mentioned it on Viziev and the gas tank, RDA's got the same fucking kind of gas tank. The only time we've legitimately seen him get fucking tired is when he fought Khabib, and Khabib rolled the fuck out of him for five fucking minutes. Yeah, literally backpacked him. Yeah. Hey, look, anybody's going to get tired. You back back another fucking human being for fucking 25 minutes. That's how that works. Sorry about that. My nose is getting me too by the trees again over here this week. So that will bring us to our third round of the evening. So we're going to keep it in the same spirit, but we're going to phrase it up a little bit differently here. We we generally like to stay 
in a fairly similar vein, but we're going to phrase it a little differently, see if maybe that helps the brain kick in a little bit. So we know that there are always overhyped and dark horse fights on every card. So we're going to look at it a little bit differently this week. Instead of looking what is the uh, dark horse fight of the evening, we're going to look at it this way. What is the fight on this card that's not getting any attention? Not that it's getting a little bit of talk. What's the one that no one's talking about? The legitimate sleeper. Not the dark horse that could be cool. I want the full-on sleeper cell that's going to flick and activate on Saturday night and make you pay attention. So, Christian, this one will go to you first, sir. Which one on Saturday night is that full-on undercover going to get everyone paying attention fight for you? There's a, Like I said earlier, there's a few names that I'm really looking forward to and I really like, but since you said sleeper, 100% sleeper, my dark horse, I'm going to get Kennedy Njukwanu versus Carl Robertson. Uh, Robertson, he's fought guys like Khalil Roundtree. I mean, he did get knocked out by him, but I mean, he's also fought Tashira and Venturi and Brendan Allen. I mean, his record's not the greatest, but he's fought a lot of great names. And, you, and then you got Njukwanu, he knocked out Carlos Ulberg. Uh, he has got a TKO over Danilo Marcus. They both fought some good names. I feel like this is going to be a really exciting fight, and I haven't heard anybody say a damn word about it. I don't even think Dana White or the UFC has really tried to hype this fight up, and I feel like this could be a little bit of a back and forth, and we might get a finish out of this fight. So I'm going to give that as my dark horse for this. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. There's been virtually zero mention of that fight, and there there absolutely is some potential that that one could get very fucking interesting very goddamn fast. Good call. Good call indeed. So, with that being said, we'll bring that back around here. So, Golf Tee, of this weird menagerie of fights we've got for this weekend, which one is that sleeper for you that just isn't getting any attention, but it's going to come out and fucking go crazy? You know what's surprising, and I haven't heard anything about it hardly at all? Jamie Malarkey and Michael Johnson. Hey, here's the reason why. Malarkey's coming off loss. Prior to that, he was on a knockout fucking streak from hell. Michael Johnson finally snapped his multi-fight losing streak streak got he's got a win back under his belt way to see these two fucking go at it michael johnson can be a fucking thriller however he's a little bit beat up but malarkey what we've seen from him outside of his last fucking fight he's been an absolute killer this could really pop off into some fucking major fireworks just saying i like michael johnson what he's brought to the sport but i think malarkey might fucking knock him out and get back on the win side of things Interesting. Very interesting. I'll agree. I heard some stuff about that fight on podcast this week, but not too much else about it. I'm definitely excited about Michael Johnson. Well, and not to mention, people forget uh, the first person to legitimately give any kind of genuine test to Khabib when he got in the UFC 
was Michael fucking Johnson. The first time Khabib got cracked in the UFC, Michael Johnson did that. Now, granted, the rest of the fight didn't go so well, but the first one to get that crack in, can't take that away. That was Michael Johnson. <laughs> yeah, he was the first one that kind of stopped Khabib in his tracks for a second and had to rethink what the fuck he was doing. Yeah, made him, ha- made him have to shuffle for a second and re-fucking work everything, yeah. No, I, I agree. De- definitely a good one as well. Um, I would say uh, honorable mention for me, um, Cody Brundage versus Trey Sean Gore. Yes, um, that was on my that was honorable the, mention list. We've yeah, got that was the other one I would have gone ultimate with. Fighters. We've got a pair of ultimate fighters in Trey Sean Gore and Ricky Tercios, both fighting on this card. But Ricky's getting a little more hype because he's the premier prelim event and he's fighting Eamon fucking Zahabi. So that and one's going to get some eyes. Ricky but Tercios is also the ultimate fighter. So that's why they're giving it right. And to be yeah. honest, I kind of wish Trey Sean Gore would have beat Brian Battle because Battle's turned into, for lack of better terms, a bit of a cocksucker. Well, we'll see what he does once he drop makes his official drop down. Now that he's leaving fucking middleweight already, but uh, no, like I legitimately, I've watched half a dozen podcasts this week. I follow two different forums. I'm on four different fucking websites every goddamn day looking at MMA news. I haven't seen a fucking word about Cody Bryant versus Trayshawn Gore anywhere. <laughs> um, that being said, though, uh, point for round three, great fucking point made. Going to golf tee here. So that being said, bringing it into round four, kind of keeping it in that same vein, but phrasing up a little differently here. Um, If we've got the one that nobody's talking about, I know it's going to be a little difficult on a card like this, but there's one fight that everybody won't shut the fuck up about. The overhyped, maybe, Um, but there's one fight on every card that gets so much hype that it literally outshines every other fight on that card, whether it deserves it or not. So overhyped or not, that's what we're looking for here. We're looking for the one, the attention stealer, if you will, that's getting everybody's focus, whether it deserves it or not. So golf team, this one will be yours first, sir. Which one of these fights is just taking away any potential thunder that our dark horse even could have had, if not for the one attention horror of a fight you know this might piss some people off i might lose a point here don't give a flying fuck courtney casey and antonina shevchenko why because antonina always gets a flying fuck ton of goddamn press because of who her sister is look that bitch hasn't shown up to fight in like fucking three or four years at this point to be honest i'm ready for the ufc to cut ties with her Stop fucking shoving her up our ass. She hasn't done shit worth of my while to watch anymore. Don't get me wrong. She is great in the corner of her sister. That's about the only place she's fucking great. Stop covering her so much. Nothing against Courtney Casey, but they're not covering this fight because of her. It's because of Antonina. That's it. And it's not even because of Antonina. It's because of Valentina. Yeah, no, I I absolutely fucking agree. Uh, this is one of those that, unfortunately, she is not in this fight because of the merit of her own achievements. Uh, she's very much in this fight because of who her sister is. I agree with you there for sure. So that brings us back across the octagon, as it were. 
Christian, the one fight for you that is literally just vacuuming all the attention away from any other potential fight because it's got to get all the shine. Which one is the standout attention whore for you on this card the weekend? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the co-main event on it. You know, Cabarello against Armand Petrosian. Just both of them have been prospects of the UFC. The UFC are kind of pushing both of the guys a little bit. It's a fight that's been more talked about this week, not just on podcasts that I've listened to, but, you know, just on the UFC. Like we talked about earlier, none of us like Borrelio. There's something about him. The guy seems off. I like Petrosian, but I just don't really see this fight being anything to get excited about. So I definitely feel like it's being talked about more than it should be. It shouldn't be a co-main event. Like, I know it's just a fight night. It's at the apex. But, I mean, we could have done better for a co-main event. It's one. It, it's a hangover card. We know that. But it's still. It's it's overhyped. It's over-talked about. You know, I don't – we're not going to get anything exciting. I, I don't think this is going to prove anything for either one of the prospects unless they get a finish. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, and I think realistically, even with a finish, uh, I, I don't think there's going to be much hype behind it here. Um, I think this is one of those, like, it almost feels like the UFC is really trying to cram, like, look, people made it out of the contender series. Back down our fucking throats again, more than anything else. Um, no, good, good points on both sides here. Um, but I, I am inclined to agree um, more so with Christian here. So we are going to give round four the points to slow bake. And for those of you who can maths, that means we are all tied up and we are going to a fifth round. So as we do around here, leading into our sudden death round, uh, this time we will not be using the timer because this question is a little more uh, in depth perhaps. And as we like to do, we're going to veer away from the card. The question that's going to decide the fate here has nothing to do with our Vegas 57 Apex hangover card. For our fifth question, gentlemen, it is now officially July. And as of this afternoon confirmed, Conor McGregor has not had one single USADA testing in 2022, thereby meaning he is not eligible for any fight within this calendar year. There is, however, one gentleman who is still eligible, although still licking his wounds, as it were, currently, still eligible, who could step in to potentially save our theoretical final pay-per-view of the year, our Christmas pay-per-view for the UFC, if it, as, as you will. Um, so... Much like we did last time, all factors aside, best case scenario plays out. We're looking for our December pay-per-view headline savior here, gentlemen. And there's only one man that can do it. So if all things play out and we get to that point, come the end of December, we will be watching Francis Ngannou defend his heavyweight belt 
against blank. Now, Christian, uh, as returning champion here, you have champion's prerogative. You get to choose whether you would like to answer this question first or pass the golf team, take it second. I'll answer first. I'll go ahead. I made golf tee go first last week. I'll go first this time. Admirable, sir. Admirable. All right. <laughs> the floor is yours, sir. December, everything plays out optimistically. All the cards fall out exactly as we need them to. So December, we'll say 22nd. So it's not quite Christmas, but it's right fucking there. We'll say December 22nd. Final UFC pay-per-view of the year. Christmas for everyone. Francis Ngannou is going to be facing who? to defend his title and save our year. All right. So I'm going to start it out with, obviously some people would want to say, Mr. Bones. I don't feel like that'll be the case. I feel like if they were going to give John Jones a fight, they would have already, he said he's ready. I feel like the USC is kind of trying to purposely sit him out because of some of the trouble he's given him over the, John has given UFC over the years. Um, I also feel like John needs to wait. He needs to get a fight before a title fight. So I'm going steep. I've also heard this week, Chris Weidman, you know, international fight week, he was talking steep a up saying he's jacked. He's weighing in about 250 right now. I've always been a steep a fan ever since the trilogy with him in DC. I mean, I fucking want to see that knowing that last week we got that news that Francis was coming back. I kind of joked around with it on my own podcast, you know, still having the hope for Connor. Maybe we'll get Komaru and Connor as a co-main event or a main event and get Francis and John Jones. But like I said, they've still no news with Jones, but we're getting something with Stipe. Stipe was at fight week. The UFC's not showing Jones. John John's not in, at any events. I feel like that's the fight. That's the fight to make. And for me, I'd rather see that. I want to see Jones earn his way in the heavyweight division. And I want to see Stapia get that rematch. That's how Francis won the belt. I want to see that rematch. I think it'll be a hell of a fucking fight, a hell of a way to end the year. I would not be mad in the least bit at fucking Francis Stipe 3. Uh, I genuinely think that has a infinite more possibility of being excited than we just saw Volkanovski versus Holloway 3. Um, yeah, no, I would not be mad at fucking Francis versus Stipe for our Christmas final pay-per-view of the year. That's a very good answer, sir. Uh, golf team, that brings us back over to you, sir. Now that we know that Connor is officially off the table and even our most fantastical ideas have no chance of playing out, we are going to put all of our theoretical eggs in the Predator's basket. All things optimistic play out exactly how they need them to for your situation to work out. December 22nd, we see UFC pay-per-view 270-something, Francis Ngannou versus... Well, let's start here. Theoretically, the UFC is currently working on John Bones Jones versus possibly Stevie Miocic. So that does kind of throw that out the window. However, they were also talking about him possibly fighting Gone as well. They're, he's, they're throwing a couple Bones fights out there, which kind of thrown off a couple of those top fucking ranked guys in there, which only leaves one fucking viable option at this point. 
That's fucking Bam Bam. Ty Tuivasa. That dude has a... Look, he has a huge fucking draw right now. If you guys haven't noticed, when he goes in, the crowd gets fucking hyped. The dude is going to sell fights. And you know, one of only two things are going to happen. He's either going to go out on his shield or he's going to put Francis out on his shield. With Francis coming back, it's in the UFC's best interest off of a fucking injury and fucking knee recovery to put him in there against Tai Tuivasa because legitimately that's who he probably has the best chance against. As much as I love Tai Tuivasa, his boxing's not at the same level as Francis's. So if we're going to go the theoretical route, I say Tai Tuivasa is the way to go because, one, that fight is going to sell. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to sell like the trilogy of Stipe would. But with everything else that they theoretically have going on right now, trying to get John Jones into the heavyweight division, I don't think we're going to see that trilogy fight between Stipe because they want to be able to push John Jones up there. So we're going to try to get Stipe to fight fucking Jones. It makes sense. I get it. So I think Tai Tuivasa is the way to go because he is going to sell and somebody's going to go to the fucking moon, whether it's Francis or Tai. Somebody's soul is leaving their body because those two boys, they don't fight for decisions. They fight to put you fucking out of commission. The only time that that has been weird and backwards was when Francis fucking fought gone because he was obviously afraid of him on the feet. So he had to play the fucking takedown wrestling aspect, which to be honest, he might be a little afraid of Ty and do the same fucking thing because he's seen what Ty can do the rest of the fucking heavyweight division because Ty's made some people's souls leave their body and then he celebrates over them with a gigantic fucking shoey or multiple depending on how many security lets him get away with before they shove him out of the arena. <laughs> Just saying, it, for me, that is a Christmas present in itself because you know what? Knowing that Ty would go out on his fucking shield just to go in there for a fight Fuck yeah, and knowing Francis is coming back, to be honest, I'd say that's a good tune-up fight for him. Yeah, no. I I can't disagree. I, I will say uh, both of you make very valid points. Uh, side note, before I forget, um, when you said there's only one man in my head, I heard, and his name is John Cena! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry in advance, all or sorry to headphone users. I know I got way close to the mic on that, but in my head it was way louder than you just heard it. I promise. <laughs> uh, no, that that aside though, <laughs> um, both fucking valid, great fucking answers. Um, I I would legitimately tune in to both of those goddamn fights, one hundred fucking percent. Um, that being said, as fun as they would both be. There is something undeniably just potentially world-breaking about seeing Tai Tuivasa do a shoey with a belt on his fucking shoulder. <laughs> that would break the internet. Like, there are very few things left that would completely fuck the world of MMA's head all kinds of up. Tai Tuivasa doing a fucking shoey with that heavyweight gold right here just just might be enough. But I mean, and even if, if he we're wins, in theories, I mean, yeah. do we really 
do we really think that they're going to give us that for Christmas? That, that's the that's the only downside with that. Well, that's why we're theory crafting here. <laughs> we're not talking in absolute. I just think Cyril Gahn's going to wrestle him down, and that's where we're not going to get that kind of excitement. But right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's well, and that's the other side of it, though, is that the the counterpoint to that is that the UFC, even though they're not talking about it a lot right now, is actually equally proposing or suggesting, at least through the management companies, uh, John versus Stipe and John versus Cyril Gaon, because Cyril Gaon was just the interim title holder. He lost the unification belt, but he was the interim champion. So if Bones comes into heavyweight and his first fight, he beats the guy who was just the interim title holder. There's, there's no questions. Um, That's how I'd like to see it. Stipe fight Francis and then get John Jones to fight Cyril Gunn. I would, I would fucking love that card myself. Just the same. Even though I fucking love Tatooine Boston. That's why I'm, I, I, I'm saying, I, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I would love to see that trilogy, but in, in this situation, that fucking shoey with the strap, it, it got me, man. It got me. Uh, I've got to give the point and the round and the match here to golf T vapes. That fucking Tatooine Boston just put it over the goddamn lid, man. I like, Aside from the John Cena bit, that fucking the image of the strap on the shoulder and the fucking shoey like on ESPN Monday morning, chef's kiss like that would be it like that would that would be the and, and that would run for like three weeks over the New Year's break. Like that would be all they would run for the New Year's break is a Tai Tuivasa scene with the fucking strap and the shoey going ah. like that's that's too long. If that if that wasn't enough to tell their fancy, just go to the UFC fight uh, to the UFC website. Look up the fighters. Click on Tai Tuivasa's name. Even the UFC is now behind it, where his big picture comes up of him doing a fucking shoey. Doing the shoey. So yep. they're beyond <laughs> the point of trying to stop it. It's already a freight train in motion. Yeah, you um, just got to lean into it at this point. <laughs> the only other thing I would add to that is I did have a a dark horse thought that would be fucking a fun one. And that's to see him come back and have to fight Tom Aspinall. That could get real interesting real quick, too. Tom Aspinall has been on a fucking absolute tear. Like To be honest, right now, I think he gets one more win against top five. One, he gets the next title shot here. That's what I was going to say. He's, he's already earning his way up into that conversation without any help on his, just all on his own fucking merits. So, yeah, that one could get real interesting as well. Maybe he could be the backup in case Tai Tuivasa has to pull out for some reason. I was just going to say, be in the backup, fucking make weight and stand on the fucking sidelines. You ain't going to do shit. You still get fucking show money. And if something happens, you're in for a fucking title fight. There's way worse fucking part-time gigs to get, let me tell you. But that being said, that is all we've got for this particular episode. So we are going to call that all for an evening. First and foremost... Thank you to everyone, whether you are tuning in to us live Thursday nights, 9.30-ish Central Time on YouTube.com slash I'm No Joe, or catching it in the all audio, form, all audio format the week after we go live on anchor.fm slash I'm No Joe. Either way, if you are interacting with this show in any way, shape, or form, I appreciate you. Good, bad, or otherwise, it all helps us grow. We are five years in and we have no signs of slowing down 
anytime soon. So thank you to everyone who has been any part of helping make this a thing. We are still here and we are still fucking going. That being said, if you have not connected with the show yet, we are the only podcast that waits till the end to do the plugs. I'm looking at you, Bisping. All the socials, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, everywhere, you name it slash i'm no joe links on the link tree down below we have got our own discord server like i said earlier it is the only mma community right now on the internet that isn't completely fucking toxic like a bunch of overwatch players on adderall for now come in hang out see the news that doesn't make it to the air enter your own fan questions we'll answer them live on the fucking air there's a whole section just for that find the news that doesn't make it interact with us during the fights all sorts of cool shit over on the discord server that being said obviously we're here doing what we do if you would like to help support what we do the best way to do that patreon.com slash i'm no joe not only does it make what we do a little bit easier it gives you a thank you at the end of the show no matter what level you contribute and it gives you access to the unaired and literal unairable things that we get up to around here, including the most recent edition. OnlyFans couldn't handle this podcast, so we're giving a little taste of what could have been over on the Patreon. Little as a buck a month, you can get in on the fun. Helps us do what we do and gives you a little something as well. That being said, if you like what we do, make sure you are subscribed on whatever platform you're consuming this subscription and a notification bell thingy so you don't miss an episode. On the other hand, if you don't like what we're doing here first and foremost what the fuck are you still doing this deep into a podcast you didn't like give us our thumbs down and fuck off we won't even dispute it that being said we're going to call it all for this evening so until next time folks don't let ignorance stop you you can root for anything unless it's i'm no joe not coming back we'll be here bitch Do I say goodbye?